I guess I did. There we go. All right. So yeah, y'all all sitting on this side. I I thought about just setting up over here and just seeing what you do if I just talked to that side the whole time. I you know. I read you. But uh, anyway, I know for some of you to thank you guys. There you go. For some of you now, this is a big shift because you haven't seen life from this angle in a while. Church, you know, because your name is etched over there somewhere. You know, I know how it goes. I'm a creature of habit, too. Now, I, you know, I, I you, you know, when I even though I'm I'm probably a guy who says, oh, you know, we ought to mix it up every once in a while and. We ought to be willing to move around if we need to and all that stuff. You know, I, I sit in the same place every time, too. So I know how it goes. I understand. But I hope, uh, hope your afternoon was good. If you were able to, uh, to come to the open gym today, uh, it was an enjoyable time. I didn't get to stay as long as I wanted to, but long enough to know that I'm out of shape. <clears throat> and, um, and, uh, but, but, you know, uh, long enough to know that I'm not alone. And so, um, so that was good, too. Uh, no one in particular. But anyway, we had a good time, and uh, that'll come back around at some other point. Uh, I know Tony will be putting another one of those together at some time, and if you weren't able to be there today, uh, then certainly welcome to come uh, the next time. Even if you're not a basketball player, really, we, we just tried to use it as a time just to talk with one another and sort of do something together outside of, of just all sitting together at the same, you know, on the same uh, side here at church tonight. But anyway... Um, you know, you know. I see, I see your faces. You see mine each week, and and we can very easily, I think, um, sort of kind of hit on the, the surface of things, and and just kind of talk about stuff. The weather that's coming up that's not going to be good, and I appreciate Bruce praying about that, and and uh, certainly all the all the folks that will be affected by that, and 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 yet sometimes we sort of stop there, I think, in our conversations, and, and, um, and yet I know that, that there are things that, that I hear about that go on behind the scenes in your life, or maybe, uh, maybe you know about each other, and I know that tonight, you know, we, we sort of come and we just kind of, for me, it's, it's, it's kind of the end of the week. For you, maybe it's the beginning of the week. This is a culmination of my week, it's Sunday. Uh, I, I, basically, what I do through the week is to get ready for Sunday morning, Sunday night, so this is kind of the culmination for me, so I'm I may be the only one who's feeling this, but I just thought if you've had a week that you just say, my goodness, I, whew, let me just catch my breath. We talked about this morning, God's plan for rest for us. And, and, um, and, and so what I'd like to do tonight, just starting off, I'm not going to ask you to share anything or anything like that, put you on the spot. I just, I just want to pray for us, and I'd like to give you just a moment to spend in prayer, just sort of centering yourself on, on, on Jesus tonight. And that may sound almost um, sappy to some of you, and I don't mean it that way in any way. I just, I just think there are times when life throws curveballs or just the routine of life gets us sort of off-center. You ever been there? I mean, you know, I, and that can happen. You just, stuff happens, you know, and, and anyway, and, and I haven't had a horrible week. I, I, it's, it's been a, it's been a, obviously, well, not obviously, but, but some of you will know when I say it, it's been a confusing week for me because I have a friend uh, who is uh, a football coach in Louisville and a um, good friend of mine, real good friend, and um, was indicted this week on uh, reckless homicide charges uh, and the death of that uh, young man on his team. And uh, This coach, is, uh, his name is Jason. He's a, I consider him a good friend. And I told him this week, I said, if I need to come and defend you, do whatever I can, I'll do it. 
and um, and I you know I don't know that there's anything I can do you know how those situations are and this guy he taught Sunday school for me when I was a, a youth pastor there at my home church and known him played softball with him you know how you just got friends like that and you see them go through something that you just think you know God I don't, I don't get it I really don't understand this. Not only what your opinion is of all of that, if you've even heard of the story, and I'm not going to try to get into it. You've read the paper and so on and so forth. Of course, hard to get truth from uh, the media a lot of times, you, as you well know. But that sort of kind of slammed me this week. You know, as a friend of mine, I just feel like, man. And, and so I've kind of dealt with that. And then just, just life in general and the busyness and all that. So maybe you've had you know, something like that this week and, and tough times. And so I, I just sort of want us to be centered tonight, because what we'll talk about, um, you know, I think is, um, is something that for some of us will be, yeah, okay, and for others it'll hit us dead on, but I'd like for us all to put ourselves in position to receive something from the Lord, so, um, so let's take just a moment and, and, and just, you know, if you, if you want to bow your head and close your eyes, fine, if, if you don't need to do that, that's okay too, uh, but I'll, I'll sort of wrap up the next few seconds just in a time of prayer for us to collectively, and then we'll dive into the scripture. So spend a, just a few seconds there uh, silently before the Lord. God, we look forward to the day when we don't deal with the life uh, in this world anymore. And yet, Lord, we know that <clears throat> that we are supposed to view life as a gift. And so, God, we, um, we, we have trouble, at least I do, reconciling all of that. Knowing that, as Paul mentioned, to go on and be with you is far better. But, Lord, there is still life to be lived here. And sometimes it's tough. And sometimes we face issues. And sometimes the routine just sort of lulls us to sleep spiritually. And God, I, I, in my own life, certainly don't want that to happen, and obviously we don't in, in our individual and collective lives here. So, God, we pray that tonight that we would be centered on you, Lord, that um, we would recognize that you are uh, bigger than this life, God, that you created it, and therefore you control it, and you are in charge. And so we yield to that control. We set you on the proper throne tonight, and that is far and above anything um, that we uh, that we control, any throne that we may sit on in our own lives of being in charge. God, I pray that you would take your rightful place in our hearts tonight. Would you center us? Would you help us sift through all the junk that life can throw at us, whether it be personally or just things that happen to our friends and family and and just the pressures of job and work and the worries about the economy and all the things that, that can uh, distract us. God, I pray that tonight as we look at your scripture, that we would be centered on you in such a way, God, that we would see from your word something that we've never seen before. And I'm not even sure what that is, but God, you know. And so would you do that for us tonight? I pray for those who have needs. pray for those who have had a difficult week in one way or another. And God, we know that sometimes our stuff, our stories don't seem to be that important to maybe anybody else, but God, we know they're important to us. And so, Lord, we, we give those things to you. And God, we ask you to work in them. 
Uh, we thank you for being a very personal God who cares about every detail of our lives. And so, Lord, tonight as we look at the details of your word, we pray that it would come alive and you would change us in a very real way. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the folks that are here this evening. And, uh, God, I pray that uh, you would unite us together to do collectively, to do your will. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> if you got your Bible, um, turn to Joshua chapter 7. Um, we'll tell you this, that as we move forward in this particular series, after tonight, we only have two weeks left. If you know anything about the book of Joshua, uh, there are 24 chapters. And, um, and so I'm not going to try to get through every single chapter in the next two weeks, so don't worry. Um, we won't let the morning service sort of uh, kind of you know, meld itself into the evening service by me preaching all day long or anything like that. I'll give you an idea of where we're going. Um, in the first several chapters of Joshua, there's really there's a lot of stuff that sort of, I don't know how you want to call it, I, Obviously, every, every part of the Bible is very, very important. There are, there are some parts that are more applicable than others. I mean, that's just the truth. The, uh, you know, you look at, at the various genealogies and so on, and obviously we looked at one around uh, Christmas time. We saw some direct application from that, but there are just parts of the Bible that are maybe not as applicable as others, and so uh, we don't want to, to neglect those. And at the same time, I'm not going to try to preach through all of the distribution of land and the details according to who got what in the middle part of Joshua. All right, So uh, that's obviously important. God deals with details, and he's a very detailed and orderly God, and, and we kind of get that. And yet, uh, next Sunday, what we're going to, to look at uh, will, will sort of be the last chapter that we'll do in order, uh, if, if you understand what I mean. We'll look at Joshua chapter 8, a great victory that the Israelites will win, and then they sort of... It's like we, we won, and now what do we do? Uh, they, they, they experience this great victory. Maybe in your life, you, uh, I know in times of victory in my life, that's sometime when I'm very susceptible to the attack of the enemy. Something great has happened, and all of a sudden I sort of let my guard down just a little bit. I start to think a little too highly of myself. We'll look at that next Sunday morning. And then uh, from there, next Sunday evening, uh, I realize that... Um, uh, that in our church, which is great, I love it, we have a variety of ages, and, and some of those ages involve folks that are uh, sort of in the second half of life, so to speak. Uh, you may be uh, closer to the end of that second half, some of you, I don't know, but you're in the second half of life, many of us in this room. And so uh, Joshua was, was an elderly man. In fact, when he took over the nation of Israel as their leader, he was 80 years old. <clears throat> and uh, we don't really quite understand all of that. He, he lived to uh, to be into his hundreds, but at the same time, it wasn't like he was Methuselah living 900 and something years. I mean, he lived a, a life that was relatively close in lifespan to what we live. And so 80 back during that time, uh, he was an elderly man, and yet God shows up to him, we'll see, uh, next Sunday evening and says, you're not done yet. I've got something else for you. And so I know that, that for those of us that are in that second half of life, or approaching that, or just seeing your life sort of transform into different life stages and so on, and I think that'll be especially applicable for those of us in that particular stage. And then the following Sunday, the 8th, is when we'll wrap up uh, this particular series. We'll go on the 8th, the morning of, to chapter 24, when Joshua says, uh, choose this day whom you will serve. Who are you going to worship? What's it going to be? And he says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. 
And so he, he puts it to Israel in that way. And we'll look at that particular scripture on the 8th. And then we're going to do sort of a, a character study of sorts on Joshua. Just uh, as we look at this entire book, what was it about him that we can take away and maybe go put into practice? We'll look at that on the evening of the 8th. So there you have it. That's kind of where we're going. But tonight, we're in chapter 7. Now, chapter 7 opens up, and I realize your version of the Bible may be different than mine, so I'm not going to try to read through everything and lose you somewhere along the way. All right? Chapter 7 opens up uh, with the Israelites moving from Jericho sort of up the road. They, they have this series of cities they have to take in the Promised Land in order for it to be theirs. And, and battle back then was centered on the major cities as it uh, has been for hundreds and thousands of years in battle. And, and if you could take the cities, obviously, especially the fortified ones, and you could control the, the country. And so that's what they begin to do. And so they reach a city uh, known as Ai, A-I, and, uh, and they, they begin uh, to attack it. And, and um, when, when the land was scouted out early in that chapter, the men who scouted it came back and told Joshua, look, this is going to be a piece of cake. But we really don't need to take as many guys as you probably think we do. In fact, it says just take two or 3,000 men. No big deal. He said there's not very many of them. They, they, they have no chance against us. So they, they send in about 3,000 guys, and they're defeated. And, and, and Joshua, of course, wonders what on earth is going on. And, and so uh, we sort of, uh, you know, we'll, we'll pick up the story tonight in, uh, in verse 6 when Joshua has realized that they've been uh, defeated. And, um, and if you got your Bible, follow along for, for just a second, uh, beginning of verse 6. It says, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell before the ark of the Lord with his face to the ground until evening. Obviously, he's very upset about it. He didn't, didn't see this coming. As did the elders of Israel, they all put dust on their heads. O Lord God, Joshua says, why did you ever bring these people across the Jordan to hand us over to the Amorites for our destruction? I mean, this sort of sounds like the Israelite people when they left Egypt. And they, they wander around in the desert for just a couple of days, and all of a sudden they say, well, you know, it would have been better if we just died in Egypt than to starve out here in the desert. And Joshua throws himself down before the Lord and says, God, what are you doing? What, what's the deal? I mean, I thought we were going to take the promised land. God, you, 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 this is what you said for us to do, and now we've been defeated? What are you doing? Why did you ever bring us across the Jordan to hand us over to the Amorites for our destruction? If only we had been content to remain on the other side of the Jordan. I'm not even sure what to make of this particular line except to say that as Christians... Are we not often willing to trade in something that is of this world, of our own contentment, our own design, trade it in and say, you know what? Going after what God wants from me is just too hard. It's just going to require too much of me. I just don't want to do it. I'm tired. I don't want any more junk. I don't want to deal with anything else. I just soon live in complete ignorance of God on this side of the Jordan, so to speak, and God can have His rest and His promised land. He can take it. Sometimes we're like that. Sometimes we say, you know what, God, if that's what it's going to be, I don't want it. If it's going to involve hard work and effort like we talked about this morning, discipline on my part, and forget it. And maybe you've experienced those times in your life when you just said, God, I just can't do it. And Joshua says there, if only we had been content just to kind of stay where we were and forget about this whole promised land thing. What can I say, Lord, verse 8, now that Israel has turned, turned its back, and run from its enemies. When the Canaanites and all who lived in the land hear about this, they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. Then what will you do, 
about your great name. As a side note to all of this, I think these verses just speak to the fact that sometimes we we will say and confess that we truly believe who God is. And I've done this in my life. And then something happens. We experience difficulty. We have some defeat in our life. We have something unexpected happen that we didn't see coming. Remember, that we're talking about that theme throughout. And, and it's different for all of us. I mean, for, us, for some of us, we, we face an illness. We face a physical difficulty. For some of us, we face financial trouble. For some of us, we lose a loved one. We, we have trouble in our jobs or with our friends or just life is just tough. And, and, and we say, you know, God, what's going on? And Joshua says, what's going to happen, Lord? I mean, how are you going to fulfill your promise if we're being defeated? How's your great name going to be known if, if the people of God are turning away and running? In verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. Why are you on the ground? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant that I appointed for them. They have taken some of what was set apart. They have stolen, deceived, and put the things with their own belongings. This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They will turn back and run from their enemies because they have been set apart for destruction. I will no longer be with you unless you remove from you what is set apart. What we're going to look at tonight is not the, the difficulties that we encounter simply because that's where God guides us to go for a specific purpose that probably He only knows. We're not going to look at those sorts of difficulties because we know we all face those and, and, and certainly God has His reasons that are beyond our thinking for taking us down those particular roads. Some of you are in that boat right now. Some of you have situations that we know about. Some of you have situations that nobody knows about that you just realize, I don't know what God is doing, but I can't figure that this is in any way as a, a result of something that I've done to kind of bring this on myself. But what we're going to talk about tonight is, is what Israel brought on itself because it was unfaithful to the promise, uh, to the covenant rather, that, that they had made with God. And so the, the overall theme that I want us to consider tonight, and we'll, we'll quickly move through the scriptures, is this. That very simply, that sin always destroys. Sin always destroys. When we think about sin... In our, in our world today, and I think in our churches today, we focus mainly on a sin of a sexual nature, a sin that, that is, kind of brings shame and that sort of sin. And, and certainly that's part of it, and we don't want to negate that. But, but sin encompasses obviously a whole lot more than that. I mean, the, the Bible is very clear, uh, you know, that, that if you uh, will not forgive other people, then you are in sin. Uh, if you... Uh, go and talk behind other people's back, then you are in sin. I mean, there's, there's a wide variety of things. So I don't want us just to pigeonhole it into one particular thing and then write it off and say, well, you know, yeah, that's for somebody else. Because the sin that, that Satan will tempt us with will be very specific to who you are and the situations you're in, as you well know. And so it may be one or another, but it certainly... Uh, will be tempting. And so sin always destroys. And I, I want us to, to look at what the Israelites lost as a result of this sin that God describes. They have sinned. They've taken something that was set apart. Uh, this morning we looked at the fact that everything in the city of Jericho was to be completely destroyed. Uh, if you remember in verses uh, 17 to 19 of chapter 6, <clears throat> God had told Joshua to command the people, don't take anything for yourselves. Everything is to be burned and completely destroyed. 
And so God says, well, hold on a second. You're getting mad at me because you think I've brought this defeat on you. Wait a minute. Israel has sinned. They brought it on themselves. They've taken something from Jericho that they weren't supposed to take. And so so here, here are some of the things that we see in this particular chapter that the Israelites lost because of the sin that was in their midst. Sin always destroys. First of all, they lost the battle. Uh, the battle of Ai. They, they were defeated and, and, and defeated when they shouldn't have been. They, they fell prey to an enemy that really wasn't that strong. That They looked at and said, we only need two or 3,000 guys. Uh, it, there are estimates that there were you know, half a million able-bodied men in Israel to go and fight. They sent you know, 3,000. This was an enemy that, that really shouldn't have tripped them up in any way. And yet they lost the battle because there was sin in their midst. You ever, you ever been there? I mean, you ever think, why is life just so hard right now? Why can't I just get over this? And then you, you re- remember that, well, you know, yeah, I got that, you know, that sin that's sort of kind of nagging at me a little bit. Or maybe there's something in your family that's been going on and just haven't been talking to each other the right way. And you just think, God, why are things not really going well for us? And God says, well, you, know, you lose battles. You, you lose those things because of your sin. They, they also lost their confidence. And this is probably one of the more disheartening things. Look at the end of verse 5 if you've got your, your Bible still open. This is after the battle. And, and uh, it says, verse 5, it says, The men of Ai struck down about 36 of them. This is interesting. Only 36 of the Israelites were struck down and chased them from outside the gate to the quarries, striking them down on the descent. And then the end of verse 5, As a result... The people's hearts melted and became like water. They lost their confidence after they lost the battle. And then Joshua, of course, falls down on the ground, tears his clothes in sign of just absolute mourning. They put dust all over their heads and their faces, just a sign of that things are horrible. And he cries out to God, God, what is the deal? And how now are you going to fulfill your promises and your covenant? How is your name going to be made great? He has no confidence in his God anymore. Sin removes confidence. I know in my own life, when there have been times when I've harbored sin somewhere in my life, it, it, it makes me question and doubt God just a little bit. And I think that's one of the tricks that Satan uses. <clears throat> that, that's a very subtle thing. But when you harbor sin in some way, it, it makes you lose confidence in God's ability to do for you what, what He says He will do. And I think that comes as a result of maybe losing a particular battle or fight you lose your confidence. And then verse 24, they, they lost one of their families. It's it, Again, I mentioned this morning, this is one of the most difficult things to reconcile out of the entire book of Joshua. Verse 24. <clears throat> this is after they had discovered who it was that had taken the stuff. Then Joshua and all Israel <clears throat> with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the cloak, and the bar of gold, his sons and daughters, his ox, donkey and sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and brought them up to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? Today the Lord will trouble you. So all Israel stoned him to death. They burned their bodies, threw stones on them, and raised over him a large pile of rocks that remains to this day. This is... this is one of those tough passages of Scripture. If you never struggle with Scripture, it's probably because you haven't read it a whole lot. I just want to tell you that. Um, love you, but if you don't struggle with it from time to time, probably not paying a whole lot of attention. All right, Pay attention to the Word of God. It's good stuff. This, this is something I struggle with. 
this guy committed a sin, all right? And if God is so gracious and so loving and so on, why did he take him, and not only him, but his sons and daughters, and all of his stuff, and his cattle and everything else, and have them stoned and then burned? That, that one's tough for me to, to handle. Now you're waiting for the answer, right? Because you think I know everything. Some of you already, I, I can't fool you. You already know better than that. But you know that the truth, I guess, that we can pull from this, the, the application for our lives, is that there is no doubt that when there is sin among the people of God, that we can, as a result, begin to lose some of the families that God has brought together. Think about it. Think about uh, maybe if you have <clears throat> been in a family that's experienced divorce. Um, and Nancy grew up in a divorced home, and, and was uh, her, her mother and, and dad were divorced when she was very young. Her mother uh, remarried a little bit later, and her dad has done as well. And You know, divorce is, is something that's very common in our day, and I, I don't want to, my, my goal here is not to make anybody feel bad about it, but it, it typically, uh, it, I would say overwhelmingly, starts somewhere, somewhere with sin. Being unloving being unfaithful, any, any sorts of things like that, just sort of not fulfilling the promises you made in the marriage. And, and so families are lost because of this sin. Think about it in, in our church. If we have a culture that will not be one that eliminates sin, but sort of provides for it and just makes it okay, we're going to lead families astray thinking that's the way that they should live. They lost one of their families. And then in verse 10, you go back just a little bit, especially in verse 12, God says this, <clears throat> this is why, talking about their sin, this is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They will turn their backs and run from their enemies because they have been set apart for destruction. I will no longer be with you unless you remove from you what is set apart. God's blessing was in danger of being removed from the Israelites. They were in danger. Not only did they lose a battle and they lost their confidence and they lost one of their families that I'm sure they loved and cared for, but they were in danger of losing much, much more because of the sin that they allowed to remain among them. Now, some of you are probably waiting for the other shoe to drop, thinking that I'm going to name some sin that I'm aware of that we, we've got going on. That's not the point in any way. I'm not some prophet trying to you know, lay the hammer on you. But just understand that when, when, when they had sin among them, when it was you know, sort of, I guess, a part of, of their culture, then they were in danger not only of losing the battles and their confidence and their families, but so much more. They were in danger of losing the very blessing, the very hand of God, blessing them to take the promised land. Remember, the land was a promise, but it was contingent upon them fully obeying and fully trusting and fully following God. Sin always destroys. We see that a battle, confidence, families, so much more was lost. So what do you do? I, I could sit and tell you all that, and you say, well, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's good. I've seen that. Sin does destroy, and that's great, and we're here just to tell us a bunch of stuff we already know. What do you do about it? I think this particular passage of Scripture, just sort of in the life of the guy uh, who, <clears throat> who was the culprit, I think we can see that we need to not linger long in the face of temptation. Look at verse 21. This man Achan is talking and he says, 
When I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Babylon, 200 silver shekels, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, that's about a pound or so of gold, I coveted them and took them. You can see for, their, for yourself. They are concealed in the ground inside my tent with the money under the cloak. He, he, he was a, a, a man who, when, when the Israelites went up, up into the city of Jericho, that he, he's looking around him. Joshua says, look, everything in this city is set apart. Don't, everything in here is sinful. We're going to burn it. We're going to destroy it all because God says that's not going to be part of who we are. We're going to be brand new. We're going to be in a brand new land. And, and he looks a little bit and then takes that second look. You been there? He, he looks at that, what, what was tempting for him. And it happened to be financial for him. And, and he lingered a little too long in the face of that temptation. And, and, and he, as a result, gave in. It says, I coveted them. You know, that's the way that sin typically is for us. We linger in its presence, whatever it may be, uh, whatever temptation you face, not just of sexual nature or anything like that, but just whatever temptation you may face, whatever people you're around that sort of bring those negative influences to you, you linger in that moment too long, and what begins to happen? You sort of find yourself leaning that way just a little bit. You sort of, your mind begins to think sort of along the same lines that maybe those other people do, or you just begin to be a little bit different. Don't linger long in the face of temptation. This guy says, I coveted them. I wanted them for myself. I felt that I was missing out on something because I didn't have that in my life. I didn't fully trust God when he said, destroy everything. And I wanted something from the other side, and I took it. The truth about sin is that it's always attractive. Always. If it weren't attractive, why would we do it? <clears throat> if sin weren't some, somehow perceived to be beneficial to us, give us some sort of pleasure, sense of accomplishment, some sort of step up on someone else, there'd be no reason for us to do it. But sin is always attractive. Just when he said, I, I looked and I saw a beautiful cloak. Not just there's some guy's jacket laying on the ground. He said it was a beautiful cloak. Sin is always disguised in something that we perceive will be beneficial to us. In whatever arena of sin that is, 200 silver shekels. <clears throat> it's going to add something to him. He's going to become rich. A bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Who wouldn't want all that stuff? He says, I coveted them, and I took them. He lingered too long in the face of temptation. <clears throat> and as a result, it changed him, because he then began to deceive. He hid it. Been there? Try to hide something, try to skirt around it, try to talk your way through a situation when you know you just messed up, and yet you want to justify it, or you want to make it right somehow. And I'm going to talk my way through it. They are concealed in the ground inside my tent, and the money is under the clothes. It changes you. James chapter 1 <clears throat> talks about the fact that temptation works in a way that, that we think maybe, well, God shouldn't have put me in that situation and so on and so forth. Maybe I need somebody to blame. And he says this, <clears throat> No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God, for God is not tempted by evil, and He Himself does not tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. In James chapter 1, 13 to 15. 
to not linger long in the face of temptation would have done this guy some good. And then the Israelites show us through God's direction that when we find sin in our lives, what do we do about it? They were to take drastic measures to eliminate that sin. This entire family, though I can't fully theologically reconcile all of this stuff, and I'm not sure that I'll ever be able to, but it was clear that when there was sin in their midst, God said something drastic has to happen. That sin has got to be eliminated. We can no longer allow this stuff to stay. And as a result, God said that man, his entire family and all that he has must be eliminated because of his sin. There's a side note to this, that the sins that we commit obviously have repercussions for our families. Uh, the, the life that we live can either benefit or take away from the relationship of, with God that our families have. If you're a dad, uh, you know that. If you're a mom, you know that. If you're a grandparent, you've seen how maybe your habits and what you do has been passed down, good, bad, or otherwise. They were to take very drastic measures... In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is talking the Sermon on the Mount, one of my favorite passages of scriptures. In Matthew chapter 5 through 7 gives this unbelievable sermon. In verse 27, he says, You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And here's where he goes to the drastic part. If you've got sin in your life, here it is. Verse 29, If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. In order to take drastic measures for some of us, there's something that we're not going to be able to watch anymore. There's a person we might not need to talk to for just a little while because... They seem to be the one who leads us down that particular path. We, in a sense, need to do something drastic that somebody would look at us and say, oh, somebody's eye had been removed. That would be, you'd be drawn to that, to kind of look and say, what's going on? Someone's hand had been cut off. What, what happened? And Jesus says, it's better for you to get all kinds of questions like that. It's better for you to go through life handicapped. It's better for you to go through life missing out, so to speak, on something the world has to offer than for at the end of your life to have enjoyed all of those things, to still be intact, so to speak, and then for your entire body to be thrown into hell, be separated from God. It's better for us to go through life not being around a certain person or not watching certain things on television or whatever it may be. And for all of us at some point, for our entire body to be disqualified because we really didn't follow God. So take drastic measures to eliminate the sin. And then, finally, and this is where I want to end. Finally, not only are we not to linger long in the face of temptation, then eliminate the sin by whatever means we, we have to do, but, but here's the encouraging part. To get back up and follow the Lord. Look at chapter 8. Go ahead just a little bit. Chapter 8, and then look at, at verse 8. They have just defeated the people they were just defeated by. They got rid of the sin out of their midst, and, and then God gave them victory over the enemy that had just beaten them. And Joshua says this, After taking the city, set it on fire. Real similar to what he told them with Jericho. Follow the Lord's command. See that you do as I have
ordered you. They were given another chance. Once they had eliminated the sin, they were to get back on their feet, re-engage in the battle, and then follow the Lord's command. Galatians chapter 5, and I'll close with this particular scripture as it relates to the one we just read. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I think one of these, it's very difficult maybe to implement, but simple in its direction toward us. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Get back up and follow the Lord. He says, we're going to engage in battle. Follow what God has said. Follow the Lord's command. How do you? Keep moving forward in the face of sin once God has eliminated that from your life. One of the things that has really been on my heart that I, that I wake up each morning and I begin to tell myself is feed the Spirit. Feed the Spirit. The truth is, in your life and in mine, we have these two natures that are going to battle against each other. We've got that human nature we've been born with, and we have our new nature as believers in Jesus Christ. And sometimes the Bible makes it clear that old nature wants to rear its ugly head and come after the spirit nature. And my goal each morning when I wake up is to feed that day, feed the spirit. Which one of those is going to grow in my life? The one that I feed. Which, which one of those is, is going to take preeminence in my life? The one that I feed. And so my goal is to get back up, follow the Lord by feeding the Spirit. And that means doing the things that we talked about this morning. Living a life with Jesus on a daily basis through prayer, through knowing His Word, through listening to Him on a moment-by-moment basis. Feed the Spirit. For some of you, you say, you know, I don't know that I have a whole lot of sin that's really apparent in my life. And I'll be honest with you. Knowing the, the crowd that typically shows up on a Sunday evening, to preach a message on sin is something I think, God, what am I going to talk about? I don't look at you as being 100% perfect because I know that you're human, and yet at the same time I know that many of you have been down the road a little ways further than I have, and I just say, God, they, what are they dealing with? I mean, seriously, I mean, there's really a whole lot of sin, really, that, that's going on in their lives, and and yet, God reminds me that, that our culture here at Elm Grove, whether, whether you say, okay, you know what, you've hit me between the eyes tonight and I've identified some sin, I'm going to take drastic measures to go and eliminate it. Whether that's happened to you tonight or not, I believe we can all be affected and have something to go and do as a result of this because our culture here at Elm Grove has to be one. If we are to experience the rest of that God wants for us. If we are to live in His plan, our culture here has to be one that is a pursuit of holiness by walking daily with Jesus. And that means that the people who we would look at and say, they're, they're just perfect. I mean, what do they do wrong? They, they're always talking nice to somebody. I mean, surely they're not dealing with any sort of temptation, that kind of thing. I mean, even those folks have to continue to pursue holiness because apathy, apathy, when it comes to walking according to the Spirit, apathy, I believe the Bible is clear, means that we are going backwards, which means we're not pursuing God and His glory and seeking first His kingdom, which then leads us into sin. My desire for us 
And for this particular crowd here tonight, though we may look at our lives and say, I'm not sure there's a whole lot of sin, it's for us to set the pace, for us to lead the way in creating a culture here at Elm Grove that says sin, though we will be gracious and loving toward the people who commit it, sin is not something that we want to be a part of our lives, that we want to drag us down. We want to eliminate those things. Don't read into the fact that I'm trying to say that the people who are sinful need to be stoned and then burned. Thank God we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. But at the same time, I want us to to be such a culture that pursues holiness that when other people come into our body, they just get on board with that and we put ourselves in position to see what God can do, to see Him come through and give us victory after victory. And so maybe for you, you just say, you know what, I'm I'm there. I just want to set the pace. Let me do I'm going to pursue it. And everything that I do is going to be meant to be an encouragement to somebody who just needs to get back up and follow the Lord. And so maybe there is sin. You know, I've thought about this too. Maybe there is a sin in your life and you just say, you know what, I I just need to get rid of that. I'm going to confess it to somebody. I'm going to talk to God about it. And I'm going to get accountable and I'm going to move forward with it. If that's the case and you'd like to talk with me, I'll be standing here in just a second. Love to pray with you and talk with you about it and whatever. But if not, if that's not where it hits you tonight, then set the pace to create a culture here that pursues holiness, pursues first the kingdom of God. And we'll see what God can do. Sin always destroys. Sin will destroy this church if we allow it to. But if we pursue holiness we pursue the things of God and we say nothing that is not of God will be tolerated in my life and in our life as a church and we then in turn love those sinful people to the point where they realize there's something better maybe we got a chance to see God do something really good I'd love to see it I think we're in a great position for that you guys actually make me think there's somebody here tonight too I appreciate that somebody was joking with me earlier won't mention any names when we had our shoot-around today and said, you ought to just go over and deliver your message right now because you got more people here at this open gym you're going to have there tonight. I said, uh-huh, thank you very much. It was all in good fun, and I took it that way. appreciate it. But anyway, um, let's, let's stand and close with a, with a song tonight, and, um, and then you can meander around and whatever it is you're going to do and maybe even out the sanctuary by moving on the other side.